Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of American Billiard Radio. Today is Thursday, September 13th, and I had a chance to talk to Melinda Bailey again this week. Uh, Melinda has been a part of American Billiard Radio since the beginning, and honestly, she's also been a part of AZ Billiards pretty much since the beginning. So Melinda and I go way back. Uh, We had a chance to talk about a number of different things going on in the news right now. Uh, Again, I talked to her about this terrible thing of her not being involved in playing anymore and I'll continue doing it until she finally puts her cue back together and gets out there and starts competing again but we also talked about uh, people getting upset in pool you know emotion Um, we touched on the Serena Williams thing from the US Open last week Uh, talked about some some of the blog articles that she writes uh, before we get on to that interview, uh, as far as news over the last week, there's not a lot. Uh, you know, there were there were the typical tournaments. Uh, China Open is probably a big one, but I don't have a whole lot of information on it right now. I know that uh, Ko won, and I know that Jason Shaw took second. I'm still gathering information from that. As far as this week, there's a fair amount of news going on right now. The Moscone Cup hopefuls are in Russia playing in the Kremlin Cup. The ladies of the WPBA are playing in Wisconsin, and Big Truck is handling the stream for that. I know the brackets are on CompuSport, so you can follow that. I'll include links in the notes for this episode. So other than that, I don't have a whole lot else to talk about. It was kind of a long interview with Melinda, as it usually is. So we'll get right to Melinda Bailey. And I'm rejoined now. Haven't heard from her in a while. Uh, Brought in the A-team for this interview, Melinda Bailey. Hi, everybody. (laughs) It has been a long time. Well, you've been busy. Well, I've been so, I felt neglected, you know. You didn't. You didn't need me. It's okay. You're making up for it today. Well, it. it, it I just, You can't. You can't bring the A team out on every show. It just. It sets the bar so high. <laughs> That's a very good point. I like that. We'll go with that. Okay. So besides the weather, what's been happening? Oh God. <laughs> oh yes, the weather. Yeah. Yeah, since I uh, do work for the National Weather Service, that's obviously what I've been dealing with is tropical, is uh, Hurricane Florence and Hurricane Isaac, and now there's a system in the Gulf of Mexico. So yeah, we've been, uh, and Gordon was um, a couple weeks ago. So yeah, we've been we've been real busy. That's pretty much all I've been doing <laughs> because of this, this the tropical season. What all do you What all do you do for something like this? Well, I'm actually in a regional headquarters of the National Weather Service. We have six regions, and I'm in the regional headquarters. And so we have about 60 people up here, and we all do different things. And so uh, some people um, uh, deal with, uh, like if uh, the radar goes down, they're the ones that fix it. Uh, We have people to do um, uh, science, um, you know, research papers, things like that. But when something like this happens and they get involved in the operations, I happen to be the person that's in charge of um, backup. So if an office um, has issues like, you know, uh, um, whatever the issue may be, it could be a telco issue, it could be rain getting in the building, you know, something like that, you know, as far as tropical storms, um, I help them um, with their backup, who, do, who, who they should go to uh, to back them up. And I also uh, handle deployments. And so when an office needs additional help, because as you can imagine, um, when the tropical storm comes is coming towards your area, our operation just ramps up completely, and um, we have more people on shift. We uh, have more interviews to do. We're doing live interviews. We're doing briefings. We're doing all sorts of stuff, and so we actually need to deploy people to those offices, those forecast offices, um, because there is so much to do during a a tropical event. We do the same thing for like severe weather events, things like that as well. So it's not just tropical. <clears throat> so I personally um, back up deployments. I do a ton of other things, but those are the main things I do. Um, besides interviews and working shifts and stuff, those are the main things I do during the tropical system. 
me personally. Like I said, there's a whole bunch of people. It's a team up here, so <laughs> we're all doing a lot of things. When I read about storms, and, and I don't want to spend you know the whole interview talking about storms, but you know, <laughs> when I read about them, a lot of time it's the media making it out to be this. You know, it's going to be the most the most damaging uh, hurricane of ever, and that sort of thing. I mean. Do you guys ever in your office start tracking something and then just stop and look at each other and say, oh, my Lord, this is going to be huge? Um, well, the media does it. Um, TV does it because they're competing. And so that's the reason they do it. That's why, you know, like this one, I think it's called a monster and, and um, things like that. And so um, for us, though, to be honest, when we see something that is, um, going to be catastrophic, losing lives, things like that. We actually get together with a lot of people in the weather service and we actually agree on the wording that we're going to use um, because we don't, um, <clears throat> we don't want to cause panic. And we also want to make sure that everyone has the, we, the, from the weather service, the national weather service, it's all the same message. So you don't want, you know, a forecaster over here saying it's catastrophic and, you know, a hydrologist over here saying it's going to be bad, you know, whatever. You just want it all. Um, you just want the same message. Um, <clears throat> so when there is a, something like that, um, like you just described, uh, we get together and decide that what words we should use. So this one is we're using the word catastrophic for Hurricane Florence because it is going to be catastrophic. We're using words like life-saving, um, things like that, because it is, it is, a, it is a very dangerous storm. It sounds like it. Catastrophic's not a word I want to hear very often. And and it, right, and 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 that's a good point. And so that's why we don't use it for every every hurricane. We only use it for um, for storms that we know that that are going to be catastrophic. Like in in Harvey, Hurricane Harvey, we had fifty inches of rain. That was catastrophic. <laughs> so you know, those are the type of of, um, of of words that we, like I said, we agree on. Because we want it, we want the same message going out from the National Weather Service, all of our forecast offices, and and uh, and the Hurricane Center. We all use the same, we all use the same wording. Yeah, it's important to to uh, have the same message going out for sure. I'm sure there's some way to compare that to pool, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> so you've been writing again, well, still. Yes, I. Uh, uh, and I actually haven't been writing as much as I've wanted to um, with my friend uh, Dave Favor um, passing away from brain cancer in early May. That's definitely derailed um, my even, you know, desire to write. And then now with with the weather being active and being um, out of town for work, um, that kind of stops me from writing as much as I want. Because as you dragged out of me um, <laughs> in one of the interviews, um, that I do only uh, write after work because I don't have the internet at home or anything. So <clears throat> I just sat my plus I don't have a desk, you know all that stuff. You gotta be comfortable when you when you're writing. So anyway, but yeah, I've uh, I've written a few things I have recently. You told me you were interested in one of them too. Yeah, the article you wrote yesterday kind of jumped out at me about added money, and you know since you don't run a tour anymore, but I do, it's something <laughs> I think about as well as other tournaments, um, you wrote about how the top players have to have to look at not only added money, but greens fees and I assume entry fees and, and all of that when they're deciding where to play. Yes. <clears throat> I think, um, and by top players, I, I mean pro players, not just top players in the area, but pro players, they're trying to make a living. So the story I, I shared on the blog was um, a pro was in town and um, he was looking for a, he happened to be in town for something. He was looking for a tournament. So I pulled up a flyer and I showed it to him. It was a really big tournament in Texas, actually. And I knew he would go. I mean, I just, I mean, all the pros go there. It's a really big tournament. And he looks at it and he goes, he goes, they're not really adding all that money. He goes, the flyer implies that, but the added money is just coming out of the large green fees. He goes, it's not worth it for me to go. And I, and I was really taken aback because I've been in the pool world for 25 years, you know, or longer, and I've never heard that before in my life. And the other thing is, is he calculated almost instantly 
that that the green fees times 128 people was the added money. And so I was just like, I mean, he just did it. It was just, it was, I mean, that's, that's all he looked at. He didn't look at anything else. He didn't look at where it was in Texas. He didn't look, you know, he just saw, he just saw that. And I was like, wow. So then I showed him another, so I found another tournament and uh, he goes, Hey, he goes, that's a good one. He goes, uh, there's no large green fees. It's true added money. He goes, I'll go to that one. And I was like, huh, very interesting. <laughs> and the reason why that's, that's interesting to me, because as an amateur, right, I, I can go to I, I go to any tournament I want to. I, I never look at a green fee or an entry fee. Well, I'm not mind looking at an entry fee, but I don't I don't look at the added money because I'm not trying to make money. I'm not trying to make a living. I mean, and so I th- I think it's actually a little sad. Well, not a little sad. I think it's very sad that pros have to see what the added money is in the green fee before they decide to go because that's how our state of the pool is in. Um, but it was it was it was. I was, I was quite shocked, I have to admit, <laughs> but it made sense. I'm curious what his thinking was. I mean, and again, I'm looking at it either from a tournament director standpoint or from an amateur, real amateur uh, standpoint. I mean, what's the difference? I understand the added money. I get that you look at the added money, but why does it matter where it comes from? He didn't explain that. He didn't explain that to me, but but if but if all the added money is coming from the green fees, then they're really not adding extra money. But I don't know. But he didn't he didn't explain he didn't explain why. He just wouldn't. He just wasn't even remotely interested because it wasn't. I guess I don't know. I mean, I've seen the payouts of that tournament is pretty good. <laughs> you know, the Calcutta is really good too. But I guess in his eyes, it wasn't good enough. Yeah, that's what I'm looking at. That's what I'm thinking they're looking out at is the payouts and right. you know whether that's going to be enough to pay their bills for the next couple of weeks. But then again, like you say, we don't we're not living tournament to tournament to to try to make right. it out there. Right. And I think and I think that's the difference is is you know, he I guess the other tournament he could I don't know if he'd make more money, but I mean, I, I don't know. I was, I, like I said, I was shocked. <laughs> yeah, that that seems odd to me. I, I've thought for the longest time, and this is not, this is only sort of related to what we're talking about. I've thought for the longest time that there was a tipping point where so much added money brings in more players, but when you get to a certain point in the added money, the number of players you bring in goes down because you've scared off the amateurs. With added money? Yeah, because I think, you know, if you're an amateur, you look at it and say, oh, 500 added, that'll be good. Oh, 1,000 added, hey, that'll be good. 2,000 added, wow. 5,000? No, the players are going to come in for that I can't compete with. I guess I don't see it that way. What I see is, um, what I've heard people say is that if they can afford the entry fee, they don't really care how much is added. And, they, and they're already aware that something that like 10,000 added is going to bring the pros and they're going to get to play against the pros. And they know that they know they're probably not going to do well, but it's a great experience for them. And they'll be get to walk around with the pros. I think maybe some of your players out there look at being able to hang out with the pros and being able to say, hey, I played Johnny or I played Efren different than people do in other parts of the country. Um, you know, in some parts of the country, I think even the amateurs, they expect to make money. You know, the top amateurs, they they don't want to play in a tournament with the, the top pros. I, I guess it's a mentality thing. And that's true. I think the top amateurs definitely... Um would would think uh, twice about it. Yes, absolutely. That's a good point. If you're if you're uh, wanting to improve your game and you know you're a middle man, a middle middle amateur or even just beginner, um, the opportunity to play against a pro is very exciting. Whereas whereas me, for example, um, I wouldn't want to play against them. You know, to me, it, 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 I mean, I'm the perfect example because I wouldn't want to do that. 
But then again, I know all the pros and I've played against all of them, <laughs> you know, guys <laughs> and girls. So for me, it's like, you know, it's like it's not it's not uh, exciting or enticing to me. Um, I think it's more the, the middle ones, the beginners. So, yeah, that's that's a good point. The top amateurs don't aren't interested. They're not going to spend two nights of a hotel or whatever just to, to play Johnny <laughs> if they're trying to make money, you know. Do you think that's why, or do you think that has something to do with why you never seemed to be interested in the whole WPBA thing? Um, honest, the reason why I wasn't interested in WPBA is because I have a career. Um, I've told everyone, anyone that will ever listen to me, <laughs> which isn't very many. I'm just kidding. I've actually expressed a lot, and I mostly express it to people that don't play pool. So when they find out you play pool, they just, you know, they just want to hear all about it. But what I, those people I tell that, you know, if pool paid like tennis or golf, I wouldn't be a meteorologist. I would be playing pool. But because it doesn't pay that much, I, you know, that's why I didn't, that's why I didn't play in the WPBA because I don't put the hours that they put in. Why? Because I have a full-time job. I don't get to travel as much as they do. Why? Because I have a full-time job. You know, because the WPBA event, you actually have to, you have to stay at the hotel that they, that they tell you you have to play it, pay in, stay in. Because, you know, hotels always add money, right, to tournaments. So you have to stay there. And you, I think, I can't remember now, I think you had to be there like Tuesday night or Wednesday night. And so that's three days off for me, you know, that I had to take for every, at the time, there were more WPBA events. So for me, it was because I have a, I have a career and pool doesn't pay that much. Not because of who I was playing. Because, boy, I'd be practicing and getting lessons and doing all sorts of stuff is it paid like tennis and golf <laughs> <laughs> you and every other player out there right that's true <laughs> when i tell people i'm a national champion they're like oh my you know non-pool players oh my god how much did you make eight hundred dollars what <laughs> i was like yeah that's how much money there is in pool i made eight hundred dollars yeah but serena won i don't care <laughs> <laughs> When when you talk to people on the outside, you know people who don't know the pool world. What is the main or what is the the first thing that they come to you with? Is it, you know, do you hustle guys? Uh, who have you played? Do you know the Black Widow? You know that sort of thing. I mean, what is the main or, or, or the common question you get? Well, the first thing like anyone, we like to talk about ourselves, right? So the first thing they do is they always tell me that they play pool. You know, they either share that they had one in their basement or they shared they played on it as a kid or they share that, you know, they, you know, you always, they heard this a million times. I play much better when I, when I, when I drink beer, you know, cause then they have no fear. So of course they do. And, um, you know, it's usually about their pool game. And then when I acknowledge that, that's when they may say, do you know the Black Widow? Or um, have you played on TV? You know, that's, it's not, you know, that's, that's, those are the, those are the main things. I don't, and then they just want to know, now they want to know why I'm not playing. So that's a completely different, <laughs> a different set of questions. But yeah, it's usually if I know the Black Widow and, um, um, and like I said, kind of what they do, they don't, they don't, there's not much else that they ask me that I can recall. I mean, we keep talking about pool, but... <laughs> you don't get the, you know, have you ever hustled question? I mean, I have. I definitely have. But it's not, it's not a common, you know, it's not a common one. Like, a lot of people know who Allison is, too. So they ask me, you know that, the Duchess of something with the short <laughs> blonde hair? Like, yes. You know, that really makes me wonder... Because I think it's more common with guys, you know, when, when oh, a guy yeah. tells somebody, yeah, I play pool, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, they immediately want to go to gambling and, and you right. know, do you win money and that sort of thing. I wonder if maybe the WPBA has put that image forward of professional tournament players where the men still struggle with it. Does that make sense? Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, it's not to say that no one's ever asked me if I've hustled before. Um, but most people that don't play, that's not what they ask me. It's usually people that know that I play or find out, you know what I mean? That are, those are the ones that ask me not, but maybe it is because WPBA has put an image out there. 
Well, I think they'll be happy to hear that. I, I think it was one of their <laughs> goals in, in putting together, you know, I'm not going to say it was a goal in putting together the tour, but I think it's something that's been in the back of their mind uh, all these years. I think it's more, um, honestly, because I'm female. I mean, some guys, I think some guys who are gamblers, you know, like let's say they go, let's say whatever they gamble with. They're not pool players, but they gamble, whatever it is, fishing, golfing. Those are more like the ones that, those those would ask me, you know, do you hustle? But people that aren't around that, they don't even know to, they don't even think to ask me those type of questions. You mentioned Serena, and that certainly has to be uh, a big topic right now. I was at a tournament, so I didn't get a chance to watch uh, as everything was going on, but I, I caught some, some highlights afterwards. Were you watching when that happened? No, I didn't. And, um, but I, you know, of course heard the aftermath and well, I'm ready to blog about it. I just haven't had the time. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to give us a sneak peek. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, I, um, you know, being a tournament director, um, and, and hopefully you've, you've experienced, well, I don't want to say hopefully you've experienced this, but, <laughs> but, you know, I've been chewed out, um, by players after they lose. It's never, you know, it's always because they lose and, you know, we're the reasons why, whatever that is. It's amazing to me how many times I've gotten chewed out. And, um, and, and what we, what tournament directors know is, is that's what players do. You know, when they lose, they're mad and sometimes they express it and sometimes they don't. Uh, when the player is losing, you know, sometimes they'll snap their cue, you know, or sometimes, you know what I mean? I mean, so what Serena did to me wasn't, wasn't, um, out of the norm in my mind based on what I see at pool. But what I found interesting was that she got penalized for it. And that's something that I wish we could do more in pool so that it would maybe stop some of these people from reacting the way that or acting the way that they do because it's very people don't realize it's very disruptive when when players act like that when the players emotional they think it's it's only them why well, didn't i wasn't you and you know i wasn't verbally accosting my my opponent yeah but you still affected every single match around you because the way you're acting and if we can um find people for when they do that or when they chew us out i think that'd go a long way <laughs> well I mean, you talk about fining them, and and really, if you put a fine on somebody and they don't pay it, they don't play in the events. I mean, can't you can't you just penalize them by telling them they're not invited back to the next event? Or d does that mean that you're doing the same thing they're doing? Are you letting your emotion get away from you? Well. I, I use the word fine loosely because actually um, the last tour, the last year of the Omega tour, I actually implemented rules. And if you um, broke the rules uh, and you had to sign a, a player's agreement, but if you broke the rules, you got, you got a warning. And if you had three warnings in one match, you got kicked out. If you got three warnings in a tournament, you got kicked out. If you got kicked out of three tournaments, you couldn't play in the finale. So I actually implemented this um, because I was having so many issues and um, the only way to ever implement something like that is to put it in writing so that people know you're not showing favoritism, that you're actually just following the rules. That's one of the biggest things I learned. And um, so I actually implemented it, but it was, and, and it did help, actually. Um, it helped a lot. It didn't help everything and the people that still, you know, showed their emotions still showed their emotions. But I, I kicked out many people from playing in the tournament and many people in the middle of a match and many pe and actually a couple of people couldn't play in the finale because of it. So it definitely works. Um, it just, I guess I was thinking of, of when I didn't have that in place and I play in other tournaments where that's not in place where players, they can just get away with however they want to act, to be honest. I mean, there's some tournaments I think you can act that way, but there's a lot that I've played in where you can just have a verbal altercation with someone and <laughs> it's just fine, you know? Yeah. Did did players come back to you after you had to kick them out of a tournament or two and, and say, you know, after they cooled down, did they say, yeah, you know what, you were right. I, I was out of line. Um, no. Really? Really. I mean, they got the wow. warning. They know what I got the warning. That's interesting. Cause, and, and, you know, the difference is we don't have a, a system like that in place out here. But 
I would say better than 50% of players who've had any kind of a meltdown, no matter how powerful it was, have come back afterwards and said, hey, you know what, I, I, I was out of line, I apologize. I mean, we've had guys do it multiple times, and they always come back and say, <laughs> yeah, I was out of line. Well, the only time I hear it is when someone who doesn't normally do it. So if someone is, because I do, I do remember a few people, this was before instant that in, in, um, had this player's agreement. There was a few times where a, a few different players, is what I'm trying to say, separate occasions, got upset and the next day they apologized to me. They didn't get, you know, there's nothing to happen to them. They just, they just felt bad because that's not who they are. But the players that routinely get upset, no, they don't apologize at all. They just continually act that way. It's very unfortunate. <laughs> Is there a type of player? Is it, I mean, do the better players do it more? Do the weaker players do it more? Um, I don't think it's a type of player. I think it's someone's personality. That's exactly what it is. Um, some players hold in their emotions and some don't. And some haven't learned yet that they shouldn't hold in their that they should hold in their emotions and so they don't do it and they don't care and they get mad and you know, it's funny cuz one of them that gets upset a lot um when he loses is because he was playing pool to I mean that's how he made money. But one of the other guys that always got upset and always had problems with he had he had a job so it's not because he was trying to i mean he's competitive yes but it's really just his personality and then there's another guy who's you know um one of the top players i went up to him one time after he lost he goes you know melinda goes it's really hard to hold in when when you're really mad and i had no idea he was upset or mad no idea because he just he just he kept his emotions in check and he learned that he, his dad told him that, you know, it's like, if you show your emotions, it's going to affect your game. And so he, he doesn't show his emotions after he plays, even though he's really pissed off. But some people do. I just think it's different personalities, you know. And while I understand that you're not experiencing the same thing the player is, the player is going to tell themselves they have a reason to be upset while you don't but do you still find as a tournament director that sometimes you have a hard time not reacting emotionally to their emotional reaction um it's funny you say that because the first i'd say say i ran the tour for six years and the first two years now i ran a ladies tour for 10 years but <clears throat> the first four years of the, of the mega tour i would um it sounds funny but i would let players I would just kind of let them vent at me, you know, if it's chewing me out or whatever, I just, you know, they lost. And, you know, of course it's my fault because I'm the one that came up with the handicap system. You know, I'm the one that put them on that table and you know, just right, it's amazing right. all the things that can happen, you know? And so I just kind of let them vent at me, you know, and because I know they're just upset and, and, and I just let it go. Well, a couple of times, um, a year and a half before, um, I stopped running it, um, in the same tournament, two guys se in separate instances were really chewing me out. And um, I finally just raised my voice at them and, and because I, I don't want to show that side of me. And, um, but I, I, I couldn't take it anymore, honestly. And I finally just raised my voice and yelled at them and not, not rudely, but I, but I did finally defend myself and talk back to them a little bit. And then they, they calmed down immediately. <laughs> and it was really weird um, because this whole time I'm thinking, oh, I should let them vent, you know, and just take it. And but as soon as I started sticking up for myself, they just kind of, they, they stopped chewing on me. And so what I found out was, because um, like I said, I ran a women's tour for 10 years and, you know, two women, this was a joke, but it's kind of true. But if two women get in a fight, they just won't ever talk again. You know what I mean? So... <laughs> So that's the way it goes. Well, 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 guys, I learned were were completely different. You know, if if I say something rude to a guy or tell him to stop or whatever, he's not. Five minutes later, he's not even going to think about it or or let it bother him. And it was it was interesting for me to to learn that that in reality I can say something. You know, tell a guy to shut up or whatever. I don't know what I, you know. And they won't they won't get mad at me and they won't um, argue louder with me or anything like that. They just it was it was very it was actually very interesting for me to uh, to go through that and and to see um, because we I mean 
I'll be honest. I mean, running a women's tour, you kind of have to, you have to treat the ladies a little bit different than the men because of how they will react sometimes. And it was kind of cool to be able to just tell a guy, Hey, shut up, you know, or stop talking to me that way. And then they're like, okay, you know, and then, <laughs> you know, they forget about it five minutes later. It's like, well, that's the craziest thing. <laughs> you know, the thing with, with Serena and, and I think what she was trying to say after the fact is that, she was doing things that a number of, well, she wanted to, to make it into a sex thing and saying a number of men did that all the time and they weren't being penalized. Um, in my mind, and I'm sure I'll take a, a load of crap for this, she's trying to turn it into something that it doesn't necessarily have to be. Um, she was doing something that Yes, a number of players have gotten away with, and she didn't. But it didn't necessarily have to be, well, you don't do this for the men. I thought it was more, you don't do this for other players. And then on the other hand, she just wouldn't let it go. I mean, if she'd let it go, then again, that, you know, I guess when you when you play a game that well, there's an awful lot of pride involved, and, and you know, this title would have meant a lot to her. Well, I think... Um from what I'm gathering is they do treat the men different than the women. She didn't have to say that, but that's what the implication is. But I think, um, I think she was already on a downward spiral. And so, you know, the domino effect had started. And once the guy accused her of cheating, she just, she lost it and she wasn't going to give that up. And, and what, and, you know, cause that's a pride thing for her. And she didn't even know her coach was doing anything. <laughs> you know, that's what's crazy. He admits he was trying to give her, you know, do something. And she's, you know, she didn't even see it. But I just think she just had a meltdown and she's, you know. And then what I find interesting is that, um, and I'm really shocked at this, but it kind of shows the level that it's getting to, is that I've heard um, that the refs are trying to boycott being her ref because of because they're getting because of the verbal assault that she, well, I guess you won't call that, that she gave that guy that they don't want to ref, they don't want to ref her, which I, which I think shows, yeah, which I think, which is a, you know, I mean, that, that tells a lot if, if, um, if they don't want to do that, but I don't, I don't recall, I don't watch tennis enough to know if she does this all the time. I don't, I have no idea. So I just think that her emotions got the best of her and she just went straight downhill and every you know every little thing that kept happening just made it worse and at that point you're not going to let anything go <laughs> yeah and it's got to be difficult you know we talk about pool players making their living playing pool you know she's making well she's not making her entire living playing tennis but indirectly you know the endorsements aren't there if she's not winning it's got to be difficult to you know how would you like to do your job in front of 10 million people and every word you say be magnified and talked about again by sports journalists who are looking for ratings and want to, you know, make things bigger than they are. You know, that's got to be difficult. I mean, I, you talk about the male and female thing and, and I think Connors and McEnroe and I mean, they got away with an awful lot. And, you know, I've seen the Williams sisters um, get a little out of line, maybe more so than some of the other female players. But you, you may be right, you know. It, it or actually, she may be right. You know, it, it may be a, a thing where you know, well, if the guys are able to get away with it and lose their temper, then why am I being penalized for doing it myself? Yeah, and and, and I don't. And I don't know how the sisters, I don't know how they, I mean, if they're, if they're, if they're kind of like this, it makes sense why he was, he kept giving her, you know, warnings and stuff or whatever, penal, penalizations and, and why they're trying to boycott refing her. Um, but if this is an isolated event, then it just seems, I don't know. It's just, it's very, uh, it's very unfortunate, the whole thing. And, and, and this is the same thing for Poole. If she was winning, that, that wouldn't have happened. You know what I mean? He might still penalize her, but it wouldn't have bothered her because she was winning. But because she was losing, it makes all the emotions worse, as we all know. 
Right. And she was trying to imply that that wasn't the case. You know, it was all about, um, you know, I have a daughter and I'm a role model for her and you're calling me a cheater. But then she kind of spiraled into you stole that game from me and I needed an apology. Yeah. And and that's I mean, that's just her emotions taking over. So. It doesn't it just does it. The whole thing is unfortunate, and also to be in the finals of another title that she could have added to her list. I mean, that's just that's brutal, you know. So she already had a lot of pressure on her, and then all that stuff going on. Well, and I think that this was either going to be a, a record tying title or a record breaking title for her. Something comes back to me that 24 majors, and I think that was going to tie it. So. You know, it's not like you have the opportunity to win one of those titles every day. But in her defense, I also liked the fact that at the end, when the fans were giving the girl that won a hard time, she did do the right thing. And she spoke up and said, hey, that's enough. She won the title. We're here to celebrate that. And at least she was able to pull herself out of that spiral. Yeah, that's actually really impressive because a lot of people wouldn't, in my opinion, wouldn't have been able to do that um, to realize what happened, uh, what she missed out on, blaming on other people. Um, but she, yeah, it, that's that was pretty impressive because that is hard to do for sure, for sure. And and I heard that the girl that won, um, she thought people were booing for her because because she beat Serena because they wanted Serena to win. And she found she found out that that's not why they were booing. <laughs> she didn't know. That's why she said, "I'm sorry, I won," because she didn't know. <laughs> she had no idea. You know, she just thought they were all sad. And here she is winning the her biggest event of her life at 20. You know, one of the other things I I I, I always find it interesting when the news. Um, it's almost like you like you said. You know, there's a million people watching you, and you can't do almost anything wrong. And I actually wrote a blog post about this guy who um, got upset um, at the golf course and he wouldn't, he didn't give a firm handshake to his opponent. And like, it's written up all these, all these articles are written about it. And people are saying he was classless and saying all this stuff. And I just, it's so surprising to me that that's even top news because that happens so often in our sport. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, yeah. that's just so common. And yet here it is, you know, in golf, it's, this this golf player, I mean, it was a big deal. I mean, they wrote about it, and the guy that it happened to, he's like, yeah, I gave me a limp handshake, and that's classless. I mean, it was just, I was like, why are even people writing about this? But, you know, the thing with Serena was a big story, too. I mean, they still would have talked about it even if she won, but, I mean, it was, it's just, I don't know, you can't, you know, you can't do anything. <laughs> you can't show your emotions when you're a competitor, sports player. Well, on one hand, I'm glad that we don't have that kind of a microscope on the game. But if it meant that there were 10 million people who were interested, I think we'd all take it. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's interesting because I forget who it was. It might have been X-Pan. I think she's from China or Taiwan or something. But she was, you know, in, in Asia, pool is like basketball over there. I mean, it's really famous. And um, I was at, I think it was at the Riviera or something, and 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 the girl expan, she was she was walking through the casino, and there was like no one hardly even around her. She's just walking by herself, and all of a sudden, some people recognize her who live over in Asia, and they start following her and wanting autographs, and they were just mesmerized. And I find I always find that in you know interesting because that just doesn't happen to us. I heard in in Europe, um, and you, I think you know this that. Um, Maybe everyone already knows this, but evidently the tabloids write about the snooker players over there, like if you get in trouble or whatever, you know. Oh yeah. And um, and that just doesn't like over here. Like I I find it so amazing that like you know Shane could walk into a into a bar, a local pool room, and no one would know who he is. And to me, that's I mean, it's so it's so frustrating, disappointing. But you know, you couldn't do that in Asia, and you can't you can't do that, you know. Um, and, and, you know, where they play snooker and stuff. But here, you would have no you would have no idea if someone was a top player or not. I mean, pool players, you know, we, we may know, but it's just, 
the difference in the sports of the, on the different continents is amazing. I think with snooker, it's money. You know, I think the, the money that they're playing for turns them into stars. Um, in and we Asia, don't have that money here. <laughs> right, right. In, in Asia, I don't know. You know, pool is huge over there, and they do market the women. I read something the other day, and I can't even remember where it was that I read it. And it talked about how they really turned um, their their female players into sex symbols over in Asia. And, you know, that's why. And, and I, it's just a different mentality. Uh, you know, I think it, women are looked at differently over there. And, God, it might have even been an interview I was doing. I, I, I'm drawing a complete <laughs> blank. Well, that does make sense, actually. And I think that... Um... But the the venues are different there too. You know, everyone, all the WPB women, top women pros that talk about that I interview, and they talk about you know, an, a venue over there is just it's phenomenal. You know, just the size and the magnitude and the people and on live TV and you know all this type of stuff. I mean, it's it's pretty impressive what they got going on. Well, they're saying that China is going to take over the game and. They're certainly doing everything they can to to make that happen. I mean, we just had the China Open. What was uh, what was first prize for that? Forty thousand for first. Wow! See, look at that. And and thirty six thousand for the top woman, which is really surprising because so many tournaments, uh, yeah. you know, it's it's a lot less for the top females. You know, as a matter of fact. Some of the tournaments here in Texas are starting to get rid of the women's division. Are they? Yes, they sure are. You think it's turnout? I think it's turnout, yes, I do. Some of it's turnout, some of it's, uh, you know, um, the the men uh, or the open event of the two get a ton more people and they could, you know... I don't know if they're opening up the field, but there'd be more tables for them to play on and all that type of stuff because it interferes with, you know, interferes with uh, the open tournament because um, they could be playing more matches if a women's tournament wasn't going on, you know, right next to it. But also I hear it's turnout as well. But I, th- I think the turnout one mostly was the was a, a league, a league um, state tournament or something. But these other ones are just... There's just, you know, there's not a lot of money added. There's not a lot of Calcutta, all that type of stuff. It's just not the same. You know, I know from looking at, at tournament flyers, and, and some of them out of Texas, uh, you know, the tournament flyer is trumpeting 5,000 added open event and 128 players, and the Calcutta <laughs> starts at noon on Thursday, and then in fine print, a 500 added ladies event on Sunday. Right. You know, it's yep. like they feel like they have to do something, but they certainly don't want to put much effort into it. And that's why the that's why a ladies' tour is much um, more beneficial for the pool rooms, for the women players, for all of them. And there's starting to be uh, monthly women's events as well. Like you know, like a, a, a pool room may have a monthly women's tournament. Those are starting to be successful as well. Oh wow! So besides the regional tour for the ladies, there's there's additional events just for the ladies. Yeah, in San Antonio, I think it's I think it's once a month on a Sunday they have a a women's event, and they're easily getting thirty two every every uh, that Sunday of every month they're doing it easy. Wow! <clears throat> yeah, I mean the women want to play. We just don't. There's just not a lot of places for us to play. So we got normally have to play you know in open events. So, yeah, you give us women's events to choose from. Heck, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you say us, and then you don't play anymore. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, so I wanted to ask you when I was looking over your blog, uh, tell me about these two series of articles that you're doing. Oh, you mean um, the Project Hunger Games and the Danielson <laughs> series? <laughs> yeah, those are the two. Um. Basically, what I'm doing is, is I'm following a female pool player and I'm following a male pool player. And um, the reason why this started was, is uh, one of my one of my friends, uh, well, both these players, but 
the 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 guy in particular, um, he would talk to me before and after tournaments, just to you know, just how he was doing and what happened. And I would always give him advice, like, hey, you know, this is this is you know why you didn't play well because, at least in my opinion, you know, you got distracted or whatever the reason was. And I finally told him, I said, you know, I said I'm giving you such, and and his game started improving. And I said, I'm giving you such good advice. I said, maybe I should put it in my blog somehow. And he and I go, would you be okay with that? He goes, yeah, sure. You know, so I tried to come up with, you know, something clever. And the only thing I could think of was Danielson from the Karate Kid, which I know I'm spelling it incorrectly, but that's my way of spelling it. But um, to call, you know, because it is kind of like, because I'm kind of teaching him, you know, sort of. Um, and he is improving as well. So it's not like I'm teaching someone they're not applying what I'm teaching them. And um, there was just so many gems, um, honestly, that I shared with him that I've written about way before, you know, five, ten, five years ago, whatever, that people won't see today. And so it gave me also an opportunity to bring up a lot of things that I kind of preach to a lot of players. Um, and so, and so then, so that's going well, except he's not playing pool that much anymore. So I don't, I don't write about him. It's kind of funny, but, um, but he did, you know, improve the whole time that he was playing pool. I'm not saying just because of me, you know, but it, it does help when you talk to someone about a, a lot of mental things that come up when you're, you know, during tournaments. And then the, and then one of my girlfriends, um, she, um, I asked, I was giving her a lot of advice too. And I said, Hey, you know, is it okay if I, you know, I, I'd like to do that with you too. And she was fine with it. And so I deliberately don't mention who they are. And, um, I try not to give away in, enough information where you'll figure out who they are, <laughs> Just because I don't, I don't want them to ever be shy about sharing with me. Not that they're shy anyway, but I just think it's better if you just don't know who they are. Um, and then for Project Hunger, Hunger Games, I was trying to think of something, um, a strong female character. And um, she came up with Katniss of the Project Hunger Games, which I didn't even know her name. Um, but um, So that's why we have it, Project Hunger Games. And it makes sense because she's very hungry for the game anyway. And she's, she's just started like playing, I think it's her fourth or fifth year or something like that. Um, so every once in a while, I'll just send her a note like, uh, Hey, how'd that tournament go in Austin? You know, (laughs) not, uh, it seems like I'm interested, but I'm also interested to write a blog post about something. (laughs) Um, but then I, you know, so sometimes she doesn't, most of them, Danielson and her, they don't, they don't know what I'm going to write about. They have no clue. They just talk about their tournament and then I pick up something from it and then I write about it. The the Danielson stuff you've been doing for a couple of years, haven't you? I think so. Uh, I can click on it right here. Yeah, I've been doing it for two years. And how long have you been doing the Hunger Games one? Uh, I think we just started in January. Oh, May actually. Yeah, we just we just started. And, I, and I've actually been helping her for a while, but I just started it with her. Do you have readers who ask you who they are? I had one person ask me who the guy was and he, he guessed who he was based on, cause sometimes like I quote them and, and one of the quotes I use was something about st- statistics and he was, I know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> That's how he talks or something. Um, but normally people don't ask me. I don't, I don't really know how many people read my blog um, unless they, you know, unless someone tells me, otherwise I have no clue. There's actually a guy that was on the Omega tour that came up to me once. And he's like, he goes, you know, you're early, like the five years ago type stuff because that he goes those stuff was he goes my game has improved just by just on those what you used to write about because I don't write so much about tips anymore I do through these two series but you know it just he just went on and on about how much his game improved and so that gave me you know it it really meant a lot to me number one and it just gave me the idea for these as well um, but I'm actually thinking about reaching out to him if if he would want to do one as because his game is also improving. And, um, you know, just to be able to share, because it's one way to share with people. Because what, what Danielson and, and Katniss are going through, it's hard not to say their real names, but what they're what they're going through is what I went through, you know, 15 years ago. And so it's, you know, and I didn't have anyone to really talk to. And so it's nice that, you know, I'm able to give them some tips and stuff that, you know, that I struggled with <laughs> on my own. <laughs> What kind of reaction do the two players have to not only to what you write, but the concept that you're writing about them? Um, well, Danielson, every time I, I write something, I send it to him because he, he doesn't check my blog, which I think is pretty rude. But <laughs> um, so I'll send him the link and he'll be like, wow, that was really good. And I'm like, did I, did I express it well? He goes, you expressed it perfectly. 
And so, and then when uh, Katniss reads them, she's like, hey, that was really good. So that's that's really the only feedback I'm getting. I'm not getting, you know, hey, you should have wrote about this or anything. They just, you know, they just seem to, um, they just seem to like it. And, and, and sometimes what I did, <laughs> unfortunately, what I did with Danielson is I wouldn't give him, I wouldn't give him tips. Once we started this, I didn't give him tips anymore. I would write about it and then give him the link. <laughs> but with Katniss, I give her the tip and then I write about it. So poor Danielson had to read the blog to figure out what, you know, what would have helped him at that tournament or something like that. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Actually, it works out well because didn't, uh, didn't Miyagi not, not give tips? He just made uh, uh, Daniel find the tips. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I wish Danielson was playing more. I asked him um, just a couple nights ago if he was playing and – um, he's just not playing that much. And, um, and, you know, and what, and the last thing I wrote about him was that life gets in the way of a pool and, and, um, you know, that's obviously happened to me a lot too. So I wrote about that because it, it's just, you know, we all, I think that every player could all write about the same thing that we all go through, you know, it just, I just happen to have a blog and they have to do it. You know, I find it interesting and I, I kind of wanted to look at this as a way to, to wrap things up. Um, you have been someone who pool is such a huge part of your life. And we all know people like that, you know, people that we deal with in the industry. And, and we could both make long lists. But, you know, there <laughs> are people who, you know, their entire life revolves around pool. And yours did for quite some time. But even now that you've stepped away from the game, you still write the blog, you still give tips to players, you still give lessons, you do the interviews. With as much as you do, you still don't have any interest in picking up the queue again? No. That's no, That really strikes me as, as... Because we all joke, you know, when someone gets away from the game, we joke that you know, it's the old godfather thing. And, and every time I think I, I get away, it keeps pulling me back. You don't, do you think maybe what you do do helps to keep you from not wanting to pick up the queue? It keeps you uh, attached to the game? Um, well, you know, I was, I was also running a tour, right? And that took, that, that took a lot too. So there was, so I was actually, pretty nervous um and i hate to use that word but i was actually pretty pretty concerned and nervous when i stopped running the tour around the same time because i stopped playing pool about nine months or so a year before that and so all of a sudden i've stopped the two biggest things that i did <laughs> and um so i was uh, concerned about that um i still uh, want to be involved in things that bring me joy and peace and the interviews that I do for Billiard Buzz is one of the, I, you know, the, my blog was the most important thing in the world to me, you know, what I did as far as uh, what what brought me the most joy. But doing the interviews is even is even more so. I mean, I just love the interviews I do for Billiard Buzz. And um, so I think it does keep me connected to the game, but it doesn't make me, all these things that I still do don't make me want to play. I think that I just... Um, you know, I just, I, I feel like I tell the story a lot, but I just, I'm tired of being in a pool room. I was in a pool room for 25, 30 years and I'm, I'm just tired of it. And, um, I think it's a shame that I used to go to all these different cities and be in a pool room the whole time and never even venture out to see a historical marker or just walk in a park or to see the landscape. You know what I mean? I mean, I didn't do any of that. And, um, I just, I just want to do that now and I don't want to compete and the other thing that I reiterate is, you know, I did become a national champion and I'm, you know, a state champion several times and Scotch doubles champion and national women's teams. You know, I got like six titles and, um, and state singles tournaments as well. And I think if I didn't win those, I'd still be playing because those, you know, my goal was to win, was to become a BCA state champion for like, it took me like 15 years to finally do it. <laughs> but, um, you know, I really do feel like if I didn't, if I hadn't been so successful, I'd still be playing. But I have 
been successful and I feel it's the right time to step away. And I don't, I don't miss it at all. People ask me all the time to play league and I'm just not interested. Just not. You know, I don't know a lot of people who would describe what they do in the pool world as bringing them peace. (laughs) Well, I mean, I, I love doing my blog. I really do. And, um, I love doing the interviews. I love doing this show with you. I mean, so a lot of people are like, oh, you know, you, how are you going to stop from playing pool? And I'm like, honestly, I'm still involved. I mean, I'm just not playing pool and I'm not running a tour, but I'm still. But, you know, the, the one thing, if I can share with people, if, if anyone's actually listening, still listening to this, is <laughs> one of the things is, is I was very concerned about is, is my social life because um, I do stay late at work, right, and work on the blog. Um, the interviews do, uh, not, not this one, but the, for the magazine takes a while to do. Um, but I'm not playing league and I'm not running a tour, so I'm not going out like I used to. And so that actually has, um, you know, I, sure I walk in a park, you know, when I can, but you don't meet people that way. And so, um, that's kind of the, a little bit of downside that, that I was scared of and that I was worried about because I'm not around friends. I'm not doing any of that. (laughs) So, um, I'm trying to eat with my, eat with friends, you know, go to dinner or something and uh, just be around them because, uh, um, that is, you know, that is, uh, you know, when you go from being kind of very busy out, you know, I don't want to use the word popular, but you know, when you're around your friends a lot and then all of a sudden you cut that off, it is, it is kind of scary. <laughs> and then with my friend Dave passing away, you know, I, I, I was grieving and had depression. And so that makes me want not want to go out even more, which includes walking. So then I wasn't even doing that. So, um, so it's just, it was definitely, um, I'm definitely need to do something about that, you know, get into something else so that I can be around people. <laughs> God, you get into something else. We might lose you to whatever that is. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, you know, I'm trying to decide what that is and, uh, I don't, I don't know right now, right now I'm just trying to take a break um, you know, I'm just trying to relax and try to, even though my job isn't relaxing right now. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I don't know. I don't see anything taking me away from doing the interviews on the blog. I hear tennis is relaxing. <laughs> Very, yes. Especially <laughs> accuse people of cheating. Uh, I'm going to let you get back to the weather. We've been talking long enough. Alrighty. Well, I just want to tell everyone that I missed them, and you could tell Mike you want to hear from me more. <laughs> oh, okay. I see how it is. All right. <laughs> All right. I appreciate the time, and we will talk to you soon. All right. Bye, everyone. All right. That was Melinda. On one hand, it strikes me as unusual how much Melinda does in pool without playing, but. I guess it shouldn't strike me as all that odd. Uh, personally, I took a year off from playing just because I got a little bit too close to that part of the game. Um, you know, I still enjoy, just like Melinda, I still enjoy everything else that I do for the most part. But yeah, the actual idea of playing was something that I, I just couldn't get behind for a while. I'm starting to feel it again. Before I end this episode, I wanted to give a, a quick shout out to Curtis Johnson, who runs uh, Pockets Pool Room in Tucson, Arizona. Curtis came to a buddy of mine and I maybe a month or so, maybe two months ago, with the idea of starting up a tour for juniors here in Arizona. My buddy and I run the Diamond Tour here in Arizona. Uh, so Curtis and Chuck and myself sat down. Curtis brought some sponsors on board. He brought Viking and Giuseppe on board. And this weekend will be the first stop on the Arizona State Junior Nine Ball Tour. So nice job to Curtis for the idea and for all the work that he's done to put that together. He's certainly done a whole lot more than Chuck and I have, but that'll be something to talk about next week. We'll have our first stop at Bull Shooters in Phoenix this weekend. And I'll know more about that next week. All right, everybody, thanks for listening again this week. Uh, We'll be back next week with a new show. And Dave, we're all thinking about you. (laughs) 